in taking up a passage which most of you know storyline so well, uh, we sometimes wonder about things. There are quite a number of questions and speculations that we could pursue. But I'm going to try and stick to what the text actually says. There are things we are not told, and we're better not to chase them. And so, if you have particular questions, uh, and I don't cover them, it could well be that nobody knows. Why were the disciples back in Galilee? Well, our Lord had said uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we have it fairly plainly, Matthew 28 and verse 8, our Lord had said that they, sorry, verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And of course, Jesus had said the same to his disciples in the upper room earlier on. So he personally told them, and then he'd reinforced the message when he appeared to the woman after uh, he was risen from the dead. So they had their marching orders to go to Galilee. It was where they came from. We all like getting back to some of the places that are familiar to us. There's the old saying, east, west, and home's best. There's something that comes to us, and um, some of the great works of literature about heroes who try to get back to their in native land. And that is something which we, uh, some of us have encountered when we've been away from home. We wanted to be back to our own spots. And the disciples were a bit that way, no doubt. But they had a divine command to come. There's the pull of home. There was the pull of normality. I don't know if anyone here has been through a traumatic few weeks. It's, um, there are different things that can be trauma. But if you think what the disciples had been through, they'd seen, they'd had the most marvelous time in the upper room with Christ. He taught them some of the greatest teaching, whether it was the greatest sermon or the Sermon on the Mount. I, again, we won't speculate, but some of the greatest words ever uttered were uttered to them in the upper room. And the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was instituted out to Gethsemane, tense prayer, and taken. The disciples scattered. The Old Testament prophecy fulfilled, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
They'd been through that. They'd had to watch our Lord, some of them from a long distance, condemned, tortured, crucified. And some of them watched the burial. So they'd been through that. And then within three days, our Lord is risen. The reports from the women. These seven disciples were in the upper room when our Lord came through their security walls and was among them. And then Thomas, who hadn't been there week one, he was there week two, and uh, they knew the Lord was risen and that he was there with them. And after such, trying to process all of these, put yourself in the disciples' position. They're marching up to Galilee from Jerusalem. Might take most of a week, but it was quite a hike. Uh, And uh, it was familiar territory. They'd been up and down many's the time. But uh, as they talked, they were mulling over and trying to deal with what they had experienced beyond anything that we have experienced. And that's where we find them. And, uh, yes. And you notice the nice touches that mark this out as an eyewitness testimony. I don't know how any of the ones who are still at school would do it. If you were confronted with a net full of fish, how would you count them? Well, would you line them up in tens and then multiply through uh, 15 rows of 10? I think John, as an old man, this is a total guess, could remember lying the fish out and he'd 15 rows of 10, or whichever way he counted, maybe he counted in 20s, whatever way he counted, and then there was the three over, and he could remember that. He's writing 30 years later, but it's as vivid to him. This is no story. This is something that happened. And again, to the younger ones, people in school can be very cynical. But there are all sorts of evidence in the Bible accounts that the people who wrote it down were there. It isn't just a story. It's an event that happened. The 153 tells us that. Yes, they were there together. The scattering was over. They were a group molded together by what they'd experienced. Great. Off they go fishing. Nothing sinful about that. It was there. They needed some supper. So off they went. And uh, it was what they were used doing. And sometimes when you're going through and working out your traumatic experience, doing the usual things a good thing. But 
they weren't sure of their role. And we start off tonight looking at the first phrase I want to leave with you in John 21. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. The zero of a failed past and a failed present. They were uncertain what our Lord made of them now that they'd let him down. Had they any role left? Were they just to go back to being what they'd always been? They'd a failed past. Peter in particular, he'd betrayed our Lord big time. Thomas, we're quite glad of him now because he was a skeptic. And uh, people nowadays who doubt the resurrection, we're glad to be able to tell them that there was somebody like them there. And he had to believe because there was no choice. He saw our Lord's pierced hands. He saw his side. So they were a group of failures in uncertainty. And then they went out on the lake. Three of them were at least, three of them at least were pros, fishermen. They've been doing it all their lives. So they were on a cert. Out they went. You went out because at night the fish couldn't see the net and uh, they came nearer the surface. When it was sunny, they tended to sink down into the depths. And so they were doing all the right things, but they were going doing their own thing. And the first lesson for those of us who are Christians is doing our own thing really doesn't work. Nothing much happened until they admitted that they had a zero catch. There was no words. There was just the quiet of we're nothing, we're nobody. We have nothing, we can do nothing. That's where they were in the boat. And uh, the big lesson for us, we can be proud of our way of doing things, our skill, our power. The Western church has more uh, techniques uh, programs and all these things and yet we seem to get very little further forward we have riches we have facilities and yet we hear from the third world that they're rocketing ahead and we're not going many places so the big lesson is the futility of laboring in our own strength, in our own skill, in our own power. Uh, Luther, of course, said this uh, very much. If we in our own strength rely, our striving will be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. 
So there's the zero of the disciples out in the boat. And so often we as Christians, we've been doing what we believe to be right. We've been going for God. And yet so little seems to be being achieved. The zero. The world is a troubled place. The Hebrews always thought the sea was a dangerous and tricky place. Our world is a dangerous and tricky place. And uh, the Sea of Galilee in particular had um, uh, this uh, gully system. And a group of travelers uh, put their tents up along the coast of the Sea of Galilee. They woke up in the middle of the night and the tents were being blown away by the wind coming down suddenly. If you could do that on land, you could think what it would do to the boats. And you read in the Gospels of a number of accounts. So in the middle of a troubled sea, what can we do? We have to go to the Lord, the figure on the beach. So first of all, our zero, and then the figure on the beach, our host, Jesus himself. And this passage teaches us briefly two or three things. Our Lord is risen. He is standing there. And the one who's standing there is no ordinary man. He knows where the fishes are. He knew where the disciples were going to be. He wanted a meeting with them. And he set it up. He arrived. And he needed them to admit that with what he said to them earlier, without me, you can do nothing. Yes, he was all-knowing. He knew their needs. And he was all-powerful. The one who could provide richly whether it was just that he knew the fish were there or whether he ensured the fish were there, we do not know. But Jesus, the risen and ascended Lord, reveals himself. There's an envelope around our passage. You read the first verse of the passage and the last verse, and it both says, It's about Jesus revealing himself. How do we know who our Savior is? We read the scripture and there we find he's revealed. He is the one who has all knowledge, all power. He is the great Lord Jesus Christ. The figure on the beach. And it's not just a figure of power and knowledge. He has a loving care for his people. He wanted to give the disciples breakfast because he had things to tell them. He was going to commission them, recommission them to go forward and reassure them they still were his messengers. He wanted to Uh, tell them 
that life wasn't going to be easy. And uh, he told Peter that in no uncertain terms. He commissioned them. He warned them. And yet he promised them uh, that he would be with them. And he came, and before he did all the teaching, he wanted them to be warmed up by the fire, the barbecue on the beach. He wanted them to have the food inside them. He was caring. The host at this feast is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Just as he'd washed their feet in the upper room, now he comes and he doesn't say, uh, I've got the fire going. Hey, boys, you cook the breakfast. He says, no, guys, have you anything? They say no. Tells them to fish. And when they come, there's the bread and the fish already on the barbecue. And uh, he is the uh, waiter. He says, if you go into a restaurant, you say it's a table for three. And the person comes and they look through their notes and decide which table to put you on. They say, this way for your meal. And that's what is here in the Greek. It's this way. It says come in our translation, but it's uh, more this way. Come this way. And he tells us to come. He shows himself it is the Lord. He's caring. He knows the fish and us. He provides free grace. He provides his dying love. He provides a complete salvation. He provides fellowship with himself. They came. They dried themselves out. They warmed themselves by the fire. They ate of what was provided. The Lord cared for them personally. And the Lord still is doing the same Psalm 23 job. He leads his people by the still waters. He provides the pasture. Friends, keep coming to him. The figure on the beach. His plenty came to them. We have the first stage in getting blessing is to admit our zero. The second stage is to go to the Lord. And that is what we must do on and on, day after day. We must be those who come and down through the years it's been the same there was a missionary society out in China and they'd one very fine athletic man in his 20s and he was doing a great job it was um, up and down the mountains round the homes telling people about Jesus Fraser Lissuland and um, he witnessed 
And every time he went back, he told them of Jesus. And the idol shelf was still there, and he said, you have to take the idols down and follow Jesus. Finally, the mission thought his gifts would be best used elsewhere, because nothing was happening. So he back up round the mountain to say farewell to his friends, and every house he visited, or a great many of them, the idol shelves were down. The Lord works. And uh, he doesn't need us. Praise God. Follow his guidance. Go where he calls you. And as you go his way, depending on him, have the assurance you will find some. He said, cast the net on the right side. You will find some. They cast it. There were no questions. Thomas wasn't saying, Lord, how do you know where they are? Or would there still be some? Or how many? No. In went the net. And they were big ones. They weren't tiddlers. It was great. And God provided. And you'll notice that not only did our Lord provide the breakfast? But graciously, he said, when they'd counted their rows of fish, he said, bring some of your ones. Friends, you've prayed on for years for some people. God can bring them in. And uh, it's one of the most marvelous things. When you've turned, you've gone a left an area, and people then start telling you about different ones getting converted. It's marvelous. There's nothing like it. Praise him. They pulled in the net full of fishes. And our Lord, you're not saved by the fish you catch. By the things you do for God. You're saved by Christ's work on the cross, by free grace, by God's rich mercy. That's the only way you can come. But isn't it quite some thought? God uses the fish that the disciples caught when they started following obediently. Yes, praise him. So we've got the plenty that Christ provides the blessing that comes on the labor of those who go in obedience to Christ's word and enjoy Christ's power and provision. Yes, and then there was his use of means. Yes, there's that provision. Christ is someone with a feeling of our infirmities. He knows our weakness. It's mysterious what happened. It's something that points beyond this particular incident. Yes, the man who's standing on the solid ground of the shore, when the disciples were out in frustration and cold and wet uh, and failure on the lake, sometimes we feel that's us. He's on the solid shore. 
And he's calling you to the feast. Friends, come this way. Have breakfast. Come and have fellowship with the Savior. They probably lay down on the ground, stretched out to the barbecue and lying on the ground too, the coals of fire. And they were there all together, listening to the Savior, being with him in close fellowship. That's the way we've to live. Going to him to listen to his word. Going to him for the holy energy to live and battle temptation. That's the way we've to go. Yes, there's the God-man on the beach for us. And this is our message to the world around. Last week I was motoring around, um, driving, and the radio was on. And there was, I heard the tail end of a bit, a news bit, about a girl with some sort of ecological obsession, echo uh, neurosis or something they called it. And she said life was just too uncertain. She didn't want to have a family. She didn't want, she was scared for the future. We have a man on the beach who's on the solid ground. Christ is in heaven waiting for us. He's calling you to have fellowship with him day by day. He's calling you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You can look on at Revelation and read about it there. How there'll be that great feast. Christ is settled in heaven. He's preparing a place for us. He goes there and, friend, you, if you're trusting in Jesus, it's just as certain as our Lord was there on the beach for the disciples that he's there in heaven for us. I think there's a little bit of a hint of that. Maybe I have too much imagination, but can you not see? You'll see it in other parts of Scripture. Our Lord is there for you. And uh, you're battered. You're in the middle of a world, as one person said from Shankill to me this morning after the service in Strammelis. They're harder and harder round about. Yes, but the Lord can bring them in. And the Lord is bringing them in. We can have assurance on life's seas. And we've to tell others around us that Jesus Christ is in control. Now, as a church, we believe in doing our bit for the environment. Perfectly true. But we believe that God is in control. And so many of the phobias and fears round about us are paralyzing people. They're afraid of 
for, for themselves for the future. The sea of uncertainty, danger, insecurity is where we are. Go out and say that Jesus Christ has that firm footing in heaven. He's witnessing and the world is under control. Yes, our Lord knows, he cares, and he wants fellowship with us. We have the answer for the anxiety-ridden folk round about us. I know who holds the future, and he'll guide me with his hand. He stands on the beach, solid land. It's an invitation to the eternal feast. Throughout the scripture, God pictures himself inviting people, whether it's in Isaiah, as we said, to come without money and without price, to come for forgiveness, to come for, his, for the richness of his fellowship. Yes, have you come? And are you living in that fellowship? May God bless his word to our hearts.